Can a pope change sacred tradition? You know, I've not always been a Catholic. I was a Protestant. I was a Protestant minister before I became a Catholic. We believed in scripture alone, just the Bible. I quickly realized that that just doesn't work. You need sacred tradition. You need a magisterium. But we have this funny idea ever since the 1960s, not we, not Matt and myself, but others, that, well, that was before Vatican II, or Vatican II changed that, or Pope Francis changed that on the death penalty. I mean, I'm sorry, can tradition change? That's what we're going to talk about today. I want to lead off reading this quote, and I'm going to pass the mic to Matt Gaspers. It's here on the screen. There's a great meme here made by Catholic Family News, represented today by Matt Gaspers. And here's the quote from July 29th, 2022, Pope Francis in an in-flight conference. He says, tradition is the living faith of those who have died. Instead, for those people who are looking backward, who call themselves traditionalists, it is the dead faith of the living. End quote. So, uh, Matt Gaspers, welcome to the Dr. Taylor Marshall podcast. And, uh, man, you got dead faith, Matt. Do you? Crazy. Uh, well, I mean, it's like you're having your father say, you're an idiot or you're worthless. No, no, it's or worse. You know, it's, it's worse, Matt. I've been thinking about this, and I was going to do a whole podcast on it, but I guess I'll just debut the thought here. We are in a situation as traditional Catholics where we are looking up at our Father, and He's looking down at us, and He's saying to our face, I wish you were never born. He looks at the fraternity of St. Peter, and He says, I wish you were never born. He looks at Sumorum Pontificum. He says, I wish you were never born. He looks at Institute the Christ the King, and he says, son, I wish you were never born. He looks at Lefebvre. He looks at SSPF. He says, I wish you were never born. He wishes we did not exist in the church. Sad but true. It's terrible. Terrible. So I had the, as people might be seeing on the screen right now, I can't see it on my end, but the the meme I had the rhetorical question come to mind, you know, so he's claiming that we have a dead faith. We whose parishes are thriving, bursting at the seams with young families, lots of babies. Um, so, and he says we have a dead faith. So I had the question come to mind, well, is what you did in Canada with the little uh, turkey whistle thing, is that what living faith looks like? Holy Father. Yeah, he's blowing you know? the whistle. He's summoning uh, Western grandma. Yep. And look at all the cardinals there on this on this uh, meme you made with they all got their hand on their heart cuz this this wizard uh shaman told them to put their hand on their heart while he summoned western grandma grandmother and and, access, and the circle of spirits. Yeah. Yep. Access to the circle of spirits. I'll tell you what, when I when I became a Catholic many years ago, I didn't know that uh, we would be doing the uh, summoning of spirits, circle of spirits. That was not in my catechism course. No, definitely not. My, definitely not. So Francis is saying we, we have dead to... faith. Yeah. Tradition. And that and and you said, hey, let's do a show. Can you can can you change tradition? What is tradition? Right. What is tradition? Well, I'm going to give. I'm going to give people, you know, where you say very often, and I hold wholeheartedly agree, we have to get back to basics. We have to start learning our faith, especially those of us who did not have good catechesis in our home growing up or at our parish. You know, if it was like Jesus loves you, draw a picture, etc. So I have with me my copy of the Baltimore Catechism, and this book contains a very succinct definition of tradition that easily understandable for everybody watching today. Here's what it says. So the que- it's this catechism, as many probably know, is question and answer format. So the question is, what is divine tradition? And that, first of all, that's a very important distinction. It is divine because our Lord in the Gospels, as you recall, he does condemn what he calls the traditions of men, like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, scribes and the elders saying, if you don't wash your hands before you eat, you're unclean, basically you're cut off from the people. And our Lord does upbraid them for teaching as doctrine, I'm paraphrasing, 
the traditions of men. That's not what we're talking about here today. We are talking about divine tradition, divinely revealed truth. Okay, so here's the definition. Divine tradition is the unwritten word of God. That is, truths revealed by God, though not written in the Bible, so not scripture, and given to the church through word of mouth by Jesus Christ or by the apostles under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. So that's what tradition is. It is the unwritten word of God. So it is divine revelation. It came directly from Christ or the Holy Ghost, dictated by the Holy Ghost, as the Council of Trent describes it, and handed on through the apostolic uh, succession, the, the Episcopal ministry of the apostles. So the next question in the catechism is, has divine tradition ever been committed to writing? This is also another important thing to know. It has been. It's not um, inerrant to the same way that scripture is, but it has been, much of it has been committed to writing. Here's what the catechism says. Divine tradition has been committed to writing, especially by saintly writers called fathers. In other words, the early church fathers who lived in the early centuries but were inspired, uh, but were not inspired, excuse me, as were those who wrote the Bible. So there's consensus among theologians that if there is a consensus about something, a teaching of a doctrine of faith or morals in the writings of the early church fathers, that is a sure criteria that it is part of divine tradition. So tradition in one sense has been written down in the writings of the early fathers. Um, it's not the same as scripture, but you get the idea. So. Right. Yep. And when you read the earliest church fathers, so the earliest church fathers are the apostolic fathers. We're talking about men who were trained directly by the 12 apostles. So we're talking about St. Clement of Rome. We're talking of St. Ignatius of Antioch, others, certain documents that we don't know who wrote them, like the Didache. So, for example, there's tradition here that's starting to be articulated and, and codified. For example, the Didache says that we should baptize with immersion, and if that's not possible, you can pour water on the head three times in the name of the Father, right. the Son, and the Holy Ghost. It says, I mean, this yes. is first century, so that's never stated in the New Testament. So if you right. were a, a Baptist, you would be like, well, that's not anywhere. Like, wow, but but for Catholics, it's part of the tradition. This was first-generation Christianity that was passed down. Right. And another really important distinction to understand about tradition, there are basically two components to it, and I'm getting this from multiple sources, but this is an excellent book available from Tan. It's called Tradition and the Church, written by a, a theologian uh, who I think— I think this book was originally published in the late 20s, mm -hmm. uh, maybe early. Yeah, published in 1928. And it actually has a very good uh, foreword by Father Chad Ripperger. So excellent work there. And here's how he describes tradition and then distinguishes the two modes, you might say. So he says, the proper source of revelation is the word of God, which is both written and unwritten. Written is contained in scripture, the unwritten in tradition. Uh, the word tradition, let me back up a little bit. When we speak of the unwritten word of God, we do not mean that it has never been written, but that it was never written by the man to whom God revealed it. In other words, it wasn't written down by the apostles. Uh, it was committed to writing afterwards by his disciples or by those who heard it from his lips. Like we said, the early church fathers, especially those who succeeded the apostles in the Episcopal ministry. So this uh, Monsignor, this is Monsignor George Agius. He goes on, the word tradition, which is from the Latin tradere, which means to deliver, literally to hand on, considered in its object. So tradition considered in its object means whatever is delivered or transmitted, meaning the objective content handed on. If we consider, however, the act or the way and the means by which an object is propagated and transmitted, this is called active tradition. In other words, you have the objective content, number one, that's the most important part, the word of God as revealed to the apostles. 
And then number two, you have the living subjects established by God to hand on that content, namely the apostles and their successors in the episcopate. And this is very manifest in the dogmatic decree issued by the Council of Trent, and it was reaffirmed by Vatican I, which reads as follows, quote, Further, this supernatural revelation, according to the belief of the universal church, declared by the Sacred Council of Trent, is contained in the written books and unwritten traditions that have come down to us, having been received by the apostles from the mouth of Christ himself, or from the apostles themselves by the dictation of the Holy Ghost, and have been transmitted, as it were, from hand to hand in continuous succession in the Catholic Church, end quote. So again, we see we have the objective content, which is the first component, the most important, the Word of God, and then number two, the living subjects established by God to hand on the content. The obvious problem, as we've seen throughout church history, though, is that there have been times when that second component, the living subjects, have failed to do their job. Correct. And we're seeing that rampantly in the church today. That's the issue. Correct. And every time we have a heresy in the church, it's an inside job. It's the clergy. Yep. Usually bishops, sometimes priests. Arius, the great heresy arch who taught that Christ was a creature, he was a priest, presbyter from Alexandria, yep. Egypt. But Nestorius who essentially yeah. taught that Christ was two persons, a human person and a divine person. He didn't quite understand nature. Uh, right. He also denied that Mary was Theotokos, God-bearer, mother of God. He was a bishop. Yep. Not Arch only a bishop, he was the patriarch of Constantinople. Archbishop of Constantinople. And uh, he was confronted while he was preaching a Christmas sermon by lay people who accused him of heresy. So I like the distinctions that you were reading there, that tradition never changes. The Bible never changes, Correct. right? You can't, you can't have a pope come and say, you know, I just don't know about the book of Esther. Let's kick that out. Can you imagine if a pope right. said, yeah, we're not doing Esther anymore, or Romans or Epistle of St. Jude or Gospel of John? Out? No. Same thing with tradition. You cannot add or take from tradition. It's the deposit of faith. Christ made a yes. deposit. Let's say it's one billion shekels. You can't take one shekel out of the account and you can't add one shekel in. The deposit right. of faith that Jesus gave to Peter and the 12 apostles is exactly that one billion shekels. You cannot yes. mess with it. That's scripture That's right. and tradition. Unfortunately, there's crazy modernist accountants <laughs> who are trying to mess with the accounts. I want to run this video that you tweeted, Matt. This is yes. a cardinal who is asked point blank about same-sex attraction. Is this a good time to run it? Should we run it, Matt? Yeah, Mick, can I give just a little background Please for do. folks who may not be familiar? So this is Cardinal Jean-Claude Hollerich, who is the Archbishop of Luxembourg, uh, who also happens to be the Relator General for the current Synod on Synodality, the Sesame Street Synod we've talked about. Yeah, which means what the, what the Relator General is essentially is a liaison between the office of the Synod of Bishops in Rome and the bishops participating in the Synod. So he has immense power over this process, sadly, including drafting official documents, which he refers to in this video clip he's going to be doing next month, the Instrumentum Laboris, the working document for this final phase of this monstrosity called the Synod on Synodality. So apparently he is on a Midwest tour of the United States right now. <laughs> Started on July 31st, which is when this video clip is from some organization from the u.s sponsored his trip over here not sure why um so he's on this two-week visit he's first stop in chicago of all places why, why would he go to me. chicago <laughs> probably to visit his good buddy cardinal blaze supich i'm guessing supich party and, i guarantee they're having yep. they had some uh, apple teenies 
Oh yeah. They had their apple sure. teenies. <laughs> they love yep, that. in their white or their gray clerical shirts. Oh yeah, the they had the gray the gray clerical <laughs> shirt with their uh pectoral cross down in the pocket. Yep. And they had the feet up on the on the leopard skin furniture. <laughs> Having a good time, disco right. ball twirling. Yeah, they, okay. All right, let's run the clip. So run the clip. Yeah. So this was on July thirty first at a parish in the Archdiocese of Chicago. Sorry, I lost you. you still there? I am. Uh oh. Can you, can you hear? Me? Can we lose you? Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, you kind of your audio went out, but you're back. Oh. Okay. So okay, go good. ahead, keep talking. So yeah, this clip is from. Uh, Cardinal Holrick celebrated Mass on the third July 31st at a parish, Holy Child Jesus Parish, in the Archdiocese of Chicago, and I presume this encounter, this uh, exchange, happened after the Mass. I'm really proud of you, Matt, that you used the uh, new Francis Bergoglian term encounter, because that's what we're supposed to be do- talking about. So props right. to you on using the right vocab. That's great. Okay, so <laughs> we're going to run this video. Before I run the video, though, we got to get the likes up. All right, so go ahead. We have no down likes yet, Matt. That's rare, probably because you're here. Everybody likes you. By now, oh, yeah. I already have one or two down likes. The Jesuits are here. We're talking about tradition. Yep. The Jesuits don't care, so they haven't come to down like. But if you're watching right now, please <laughs> uh, like this video. Give it a thumbs up. Hit the like button. Share it with your friends or to your friends on Facebook, Twitter. And, of course, if you're new, you're going to need to subscribe. So hit that subscribe button in the bottom right corner and hit the bell. And also you're going to want to subscribe to Catholic Family News, where Matt also does uh, a lot of great content as well. Okay, are we ready to run this? I think we are, yes. All right, let's run it. And cue it up. Here we go. And I would like to ask you a very clear point of question. After you believe that sodomy should be considered... A great um, I do not know what the cemetery brings. We now listen to the people of God, what they express. I start getting in reports, you know, the Major General of the Senate. And so reading all of that, in September we make a first draft for the Continental Meetings, which will take place. I think that, uh, uh, first of all, I would never consider sexuality separated from love. The Bible has taught, that has taught for 2,000 years that sodomy is a sin, an abomination to Christ. But the Bible also said we should stay with the woman who is an idol. The Bible has said that uh, the sun turns around the earth. So the Bible is after Here comes the money. I know that I am in full agreement with Pope Francis. <laughs> Thank you. I know that I am in full agreement with Pope Francis. Booyah! <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> Mic drop from the Cardinal. Uh, I can't really explain. So the man says, is sodomy a sin? And he goes, well, we have to find out what the people say. What? I, is this a democracy? Dogma is now a democracy? I didn't know that. I didn't know that. That's not Catholic. And then we got the synodality and the working documents and all this bureaucracy, baloney. And then he goes, well, the Bible says it's a sin. And he says, well, you got to stone the woman. That's in the Old Testament. Christ, obviously, in the New Covenant. Um, right. Updated, right? Fulfilled. That's kind of the point of Catholicism. But, you know, St. Paul in Romans chapter 1 condemns homosexuality, both right. in the male What's, gayness yeah. and in the female lesbianness. It's Those so ridiculous that he would, like, how... Frankly, with all due respect, how dumb does he think we are that we can't distinguish between a civil law of the people of Israel? In other words, the punishment for adultery, according to the Mosaic law, was stoning. That's not immutable. That's not irreformable. That's a matter of civil law for the people of Israel in that time. 
what sodomy is a matter of the natural law, which is immutable. It cannot change because human nature does not change. This is not a difficult concept. No. And he says, well, I would never sex. I would never separate sexuality from love. Really? Because there's all kinds of people right now doing that. There's yeah. apps where you swipe left or swipe right. And then you have sex that night. You don't see that person ever again. That's kind of the problem, Cardinal, is that people have sexual have removed sexuality from, I'm going to use a big word here, marital love, covenant, yeah. contract, marriage bond. And the, the root problem of everything he said is essentially the M word, which is modernism. Yep. Which, as we've discussed many times on your show, According to modernism, truth is not something external to man. In other words, it is not an objective reality to which the human intellect must conform. According to modernism, it is imminent in man, something that mysteriously bubbles up from the depths of his subconscious, or as Joe Biden would put it, something that starts in your gut, mm -hmm. as he has said. Mm -hmm. After you so when this, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so that's the issue here. Um, that's why, you know, Pope St. Pius X in his crusade against modernism, his, his, uh, magnificent encyclical Pascendi Dominici Gregis, which every Catholic should read because it's very timely for today. Uh, he says that modernists quote, pervert the eternal concept of truth, Pascendi number 13, and relativize everything that falls outside the realm of empirical science. But yet, even there, uh, we know that they're prone to take certain liberties, especially in our day, pretending that biological males, for example, can somehow become females while retaining their Y chromosomes, that kind of stuff. That's crazy. So, yes. And you saw Francis Actually, yesterday received trans people. Yeah. I want to play back this part of the clip where he talks about we got to consult the people. This is not yeah. Catholic. Let me let me see here if I can highlight just that one section here. Okay, I think this is it here. After the truth, you believe that sodomy should be considered a grave sin. I do not know what the synod will bring. I do not know what the synod will bring. What we got to wait for the synod in twenty whatever to tell us whether it's a sin. Get out of here. Now listen to what he says next. Listen to the people of God, what they express. Listen to the people of God and what they express. So here, let's go. Let's get back to this definition of tradition as being two parts. Number one, the objective content. And number two, the living subjects who are supposed to hand it on faithfully. Um, the this is a prime example, this Cardinal Hollerick, as well as Pope Francis and many others, of the living subject instituted by God to hand on the, the objective content, not doing his job. Right on. So St. Paul, Paul says uh, many times in his epistles, just one example is from uh, 2 Timothy. He says uh, they are given the bishops are given the sacred duty to, quote, guard the good thing in Latin, it's depositum, committed to your trust, he's talking to St. Timothy, and they're, they're also commanded to guard against, St. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, quote, the profane novelties of words and oppositions of knowledge falsely so-called. They cannot add to the deposit of faith, nor can they interpret the deposit contrary to the understanding that they themselves have received. This is how St. Paul explains it again in 2 Timothy, he says to uh, St. Timothy, and those things which thou, St. Timothy, hast heard of me, St. Paul, his father in the faith, uh, by many witnesses, the same commend to faithful men, future successors in the episcopate, who shall be fit to teach others also. And here's how Vatican I describes this. For the doctrine of faith that God has revealed has not been proposed like a philosophical system to be perfected by human ingenuity. That's what Cardinal Hollerick is describing. 
Right. He's describing a philosophical system that he thinks is evolving to some sort of perfection. In other words, that A used to be evil, but it can be changed into something good through this process of the evolution of dogma. Vatican I says no. The deposit of faith, the doctrine of faith, has been committed to the spouse of Christ as a divine trust, a deposit, to be faithfully kept and infallibly declared. Hence, also, that meaning of the sacred dogmas is perpetually to be retained, which our Holy Mother Church has once declared. And there must never be a deviation from the meaning on the specious ground and title of a more profound understanding, end quote. So the natural law cannot change. Divine law cannot change. The deposit of faith cannot change, regardless of what the so-called people of God at the Synod have to say about sodomy. It will forever be grave sin. It's intrinsically evil. And that can't change. Yeah, it just doesn't work. I mean, yesterday on the podcast, I, I went through why we Catholics believe that any sexual activity or pleasure that is not between a married man and his own married wife, not another person's wife, that act, why only that act when open to life, in other words, no barrier, no contraception, only that is permitted. Any other sexual pleasure, masturbation, fornication, concubinage, sodomy, etc., not allowed, contrary to nature, sin. Me saying that, you saying that, Matt, like rocks people's world. <laughs> they can't. Right. We we say that, and it's like we are we're insane. But then you because think about it, and you're like, look, if our- you stick that organ in this place and all that, it doesn't. You know, God made these the male organs and the female organs to come together and make a baby, another person. All right. the other combos don't work. Right. It's exactly. broke. The people are so conditioned in our modern age to not think about things in terms of natural law, but whatever but hedonism basically. Whatever whatever makes me feel good. Yeah, I mean, what if I was like, oh, I just want to put a uh, green jello in my ears all the time? Well, like your, right. your ear is made to listen to things, to hear things. You're going to jack right. your ear up if you put green jello in your ear all the time. That's not what it's made for. Exactly. You know, our, exactly. God made our bodies for certain purposes and the body parts, you know, like are made for a purpose. There's a teleology to how we are structured. We yes. have to honor that. We have to follow that. And then it's protected by you- a sacrament, matrimony. We got to stop saying marriage. I mean, marriage is fine. Matrimony is the sacramental word. Matri, mater, mother, munus. Mater, munus. Matrimony means mm. literally the gift or office of motherhood. There you go. Matrimony is the gift or office of motherhood. How can do- two dudes, Adam and Steve, have an office of motherhood? What they got to do is they got to hire a woman and do all this surrogacy nonsense. Right. Ridiculous. Yeah, and that's a whole other subject that's been on on Twitter recently with the Pontifical Academy for Life seeming to support this idea through this new book of theirs, uh, the like a collection of essays uh, based on a conference they had recently. This book is called Theological Ethics of Life. And as I understand it, this book essentially claims that contraception, artificial contraception, and artificial insemination are presented in these essays as morally acceptable. Nope. Unbelievable. Nope. Nope. God does not want, now it happened, God allows it, but he does not want babies made in test tubes and then put into freezers. Right. Crazy. And specifically regarding contraception, if we can come back to this original quote we started with of Pope Francis to give the fuller context because it's very scandalous and very insidious. Um, you know, with all due respect to the, the papal office, it's very insidious what he's trying to do, specifically commandeering or attempting to commandeer one of the church fathers mm-hmm. who, and distort his teaching really bad. Yeah. So this quote about um, 
you know, tradition is the living faith of those who have died. But for those people who are looking backward, who call themselves traditionalists, it is the dead faith of the living. The context of that comment was actually him answering a question that had nothing to do with tradition. He was actually asked during this in-flight press conference if the church's ban on contraception could be, quote, reconsidered. Now, Mm -hmm. a good a good and faithful bishop of the church would simply say, no, next question. (laughs) It's that simple. Or maybe give some explanation as to why that's the case. But here's what he had to say, quote, this is something very timely. That's the first thing he said in his answer about this question. But know that dogma, morality, is always on a path of development, but always developing in the same direction not according to what he's insinuating, as we will see. Uh, and then he refers to what he talks about, the rule, a rule that is very clear and illuminating. It's more or less what Vincent of Lerin did. Francis said in the 10th century, the saint actually died in yeah. the mid-5th century. <laughs> um, and according to Francis, St. Vincent of Lerin, quote, says that true doctrine in order to go forward to develop must not be quiet, it develops, and then he quotes the Latin of St. Vincent, which means essentially, as he explains, is consolidated over time. It expands and consolidates and becomes always more solid, but always progressing. He paraphrased what St. Vincent wrote, number one, and number two, he left out some very important content. So let me read to you the full context from St. Vincent Lorenz's Comunatorium. Um, here's what he says. The growth of religion in the soul. So first of all, St. Vincent was writing about the growth of our understanding, the depth of our understanding of tradition, not the objective content itself. He says the growth of religion in the soul must be analogous to the growth of the body, which though in process of years it is developed and attains its full size, yet remains still the same. So I'm the same person that I was when I was five years old, 10 years old, 20 years old, you know, I'm the same person I've grown and developed, but you know, I'm, I don't change into a different thing. Right. Same so St. Vincent of Lur- right. St. Vincent of Lorraine goes on in like manner. It behooves Christian doctrine to follow the same laws of progress. So as to be consolidated by years, enlarged by time, refined by age, and yet to continue uncorrupt and unadulterated. Francis didn't mention that. Complete and perfect in all the measurement of its parts, adding no change, no waste of its distinctive property, no variation in limits. And ultimately, St. Vincent of Lorraine elsewhere in that same work totally destroys what Francis is trying to say here, that you know, he's basically opening the door to the possibility of accepting contraception as acceptable in certain circumstances that seems to be where this is going and and i said um, i can i please just i, I hate to yeah, interrupt you ahead. but this is a key thing i said years ago with laudato c the environmental theology push the end game for it is birth control that's the end game. And we've seen Francis appoint birth control experts, population world experts to the activities, synods, pontifical academies, conferences that he's hosting. It goes like this. Right. Well, world economics changed over time. Fiat currencies happened. And so therefore our understanding of usury gets modified. Okay. Well, our understanding of the planet and ecology and pollution and space and urban planning has developed over time. So we can't have so many people on the planet. So we are pivoting and changing our position on contraception and birth control. Laudato Si was part of the foundation for what we are now seeing in 2022. Everybody understand that. Everybody, you've got to understand the environmentalism is going towards this trajectory. Yes, absolutely. As well as communism and a lot of other things, but definitely the contraception, population control. 
Uh, what's the guy who Francis is always inviting to the Vatican? Oh, Jeffrey uh, Sachs, Sachs, right? Sachs. Yeah. Bad news. Bad news. Bad news. So, now, can the I other ask thing a question, about, uh, Matt? Go ahead. Here's a question yeah. that the audience may be thinking. They're probably thinking, Matt Gaspers, absolutely the Bible never changes. Absolutely tradition never changes. So what we've done is, is we focus the problem on the active executives. Is that the right term? No, not executives. It's more passive than that. It's more like... Uh, like the, I think what I trustees. called earlier the living... Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so For the, the living subjects who are supposed to hand on the, the content of tradition. Yeah. That's where the problem is. Now, we yes. as traditionalists, and this audience is traditional, we're thinking, okay, well, how do we account for that? So one way is to say, sedeve conte. The Pope is not the Pope. The hierarchy is entirely failed. There is no juridical hierarchy on earth. That's one way to go. All right. Sort of the extreme surgical, right, way to go. The other way to go is is recognize and resist. Like, no, there's there's still a hierarchy on earth. It's confusing. We're in a crisis like the Great Western Schism. And we just continue to follow the one true faith. And wherever the Pope and or the hierarchy is going to contradict scripture, tradition, or previous magisterium, we resist. Right. And then the third option would be to say <laughs> what the Cardinal said, Holric. Well, I'm in complete conformity with Pope Francis. So <laughs> it's kind of like there's the Bible and there's tradition and you kind of just close your eyes and you're like, what did Francis say last week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Catholicism. Well, I am definitely in the the second option that you mentioned. As of, am I. You know, as am I. I yeah. don't see how the third option is even feasible as if the Pope is some oracle no. who can change doctrine and dogma and tradition. Uh, with the strike of a pen, and even know. under the no, and even as we both know, as many people watching probably know, even the Vatican One's dogmatic definition of papal infallibility completely excludes that notion. That the I forget the exact quote from uh, uh, it turned forget the um that's the Pope is not the the protection of the Holy Ghost was not given, the grace of the Holy Ghost was not given to the Pope so that he could disclose new doctrines, but that he could faithfully guard, that he could be the chief steward of the deposit of faith and faithfully hand it on. Yeah, it's it's a stewardship. And just like when you read Isaiah chapter 22, it's a stewardship, it's a ministerial office. He's a vizior or the vicar of Christ, vicar of the King of Kings, he is there to, in Christ's absence on earth, now he's really present in the Eucharist, but in his personal commands and all that, he's absent. We don't see him after the ascension of Jesus. Uh, that, I couldn't think of the document, but it came to mind. It's the it's it's Pastor Eternus. Yeah, yeah, Pastor Eternus. Yeah. That's the document of the decree of Vatican I on infallibility. Yes. Um that's what the Pope is. So he can't come in and change the rules, change the gospel, change the morals. He can't come in and say uh, death penalty is inadmissible when the Old Testament, Christ, the apostles, and popes all through these years have admitted it as morally, in certain situations, morally permitted. You can't just start flipping black to white and white to black and saying, well, it's just kind of gradation over time. This w The white went to gray, and then now the gray turned to black and evolved. And so, yeah, no, we're not that dumb. Right. And here's the quote from Pastor Eternus, Eternus chapter 4. It says, For the Holy Ghost was promised to the successors of Peter, not so that they might, by his revelation, make known some new doctrine, but that by his assistance they might religiously guard and faithfully expound the revelation or deposit of faith transmitted by the apostles. And if I can return for a moment to St. Vincent of Varin, he wrote about this as well, because he, he asked rhetorically in his work, um, but someone 
uh, will say perhaps, shall there then be no progress in Christ's church? Amazing that he's writing this in the, the early 400s. There'd be no progress. And he answers the question, certainly all possible progress, yet on condition that it be real progress, not alteration of the faith. That's the key. Progress in the, in the doctrinal development can never equal alteration of the faith. And he goes on to say, for progress um, requires that the subject be enlarged in itself, alteration that it be transformed into something else. Uh, so he goes on to say, uh, let's see here. The intelligence then, the knowledge, the wisdom, as well as of individuals, as of all. as. All right, we're back. Sorry, our stream dropped. Okay, Matt, please, uh, please continue. Maybe go back a little bit, about 10 seconds. Oh, sure. So I was just talking about St. Vincent of Lirin talks about the same thing that Vatican I taught, that the, the Holy Ghost was not given to the successors of Peter so that they can give us new doctrine, but rather to religiously guard and faithfully teach the doctrine that they themselves have received and to which they are subject. So St. Vincent of Lorraine says in his, wrote in his communitorium, um, but someone, you know, people might say, well, shall there be no progress in the church? And he says, certainly all possible progress, yet on the condition that it be real progress, not alteration of the faith. And he goes on to say, there should be growth in our development of doctrine and our understanding of the deposit of faith over the course of centuries. But he says, quote, yet only in its own kind, that is to say, and this is the crucial phrase, in the same doctrine, in the same sense, and in the same meaning. And this last portion was quoted by Vatican I in the Dogmatic Constitution Dei Filius on the Catholic Faith, Chapter 4. So it was incorporated into a dogmatic text of an ecumenical council. And Francis when he talks about St. Vincent of Lorin, he doesn't mention any of this. He's simply making it sound like St. Vincent of Lorin is on his side. For example, in that same airplane interview, he's, he said this. Um, think about the death penalty. Today, I can say that we are close to immorality there. No, we're not. No, we're not. It's not possible for the capital punishment to be immoral, in other words, intrinsically evil, mm -hmm. because it's sanctioned by God himself in Scripture and throughout the history of the church. So that's simply not possible. But he, he ties it back to the development of, of what he calls, uh, it's okay, he says, when dogma or morality develops, but in that direction with the three rules of Vincent of Lorin. So you see he's trying to enlist Vincent of Lorin as uh, being a proponent of evolution of dogma when the, he's actually promoting the exact opposite in his writings. Right. St. Vincent of Lorraine actually says elsewhere in the communitorium, quote, what if some novel contagion seeks to infect not merely an insignificant portion of the church, but the whole? Wow, very timely for today. He says, then it will be his care to cleave to antiquity, which at this day cannot possibly be seduced by any fraud of novelty. So we as traditionalists who supposedly have a dead faith, we're actually doing what St. Vincent of Lorin told us to do. St. Vincent of Lorin, who is revered by the church as a saint, as a father, whose words have been incorporated into a dogmatic text of an ecumenical council, so who really has the dead faith? That's my question. Right. And would St. Vincent Loren ever approve of invoking Western grandmother of, the, of a Native American religion to access the circle of spirits? That's a big no. That's a big no. Big it's no. not a development. It's literally taking a train off of one set of tracks and putting it on another set of tracks that was never intended. So mm -hmm. the dis I love that you're reading the full context here because it shows how absolutely dishonest Francis is, or perhaps to be charitable, his speechwriters are. That he's going right. to back up what he's doing in Canada 
or with the trans or whatever we whatever's going on or the SSA and he's going to recruit St. Vincent of Loren for basically saying doctrine evolves into from one thing into another thing. Now, there's clearly clarification over time. For example, the apostles all believed that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. St. Thomas, when he didn't believe, finally he put his hands into his wounds. And, he, and what did Thomas say, Matt? My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God, which is what we say at the consecration of the body of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Mass. Dominus yes. meus et Deus meus. My Lord and my God. Now, it took 300 years of battling, discussion, heresy, conflict, culminating with St. Athanasius, the great father and saint, to codify the Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed, the Nice yes. we call the Nicene Creed, 325 yep. and then again in 381, and to have the whole idea of consubstantial with the Father, homoousia, right? That yes. got clarified, but you can go all the way back to Thomas, where he right. addresses Jesus Christ, Dominus meus et Deus meus, my Lord and my God, Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. He's standing there holding out his wounds in his human hands, and yet he's also fully God. Yes. One person. An anal analogy I like to use for the development of doctrine is like a, a blurry photograph. Everything is there in the photograph, but if you focus the lens, things start to sharpen up and you can they're more well-defined. That, I think, is a good analogy for the, the true development of doctrine that happens over the centuries. It's the focusing of the camera lens, getting things sharper, more well-defined, more precise. That's what development of doctrine is. It's not evolution of one thing into another thing, which is modernism. Right. Yep. And another thing about modernism, you, you, hit, you hit earlier, Matt, and that is the idea that Catholicism must be updated, must be improved for the man, for the human, for the woman of this era. And if you yeah. think about Vatican II, let's just bracket everything we talk about and think about Vatican II. Okay, you're in the, you're going into the 1960s. And guess what is new on earth? Television radio, cars, even teenagers are driving cars in the 60s, right? Mm -hmm. Contraception, right? Two world wars. The, first, the Second World War had airstrikes and bombing, war in the sky. That brings us to yep. air travel. All kinds of antibiotics, hormone therapy, painkillers, the arrival of not just alcohol, but all kinds of drugs, narcotics, marijuana, heroin, cocaine, yep. all this stuff is becoming popular. All of that is happening in the 60s. The Catholic Church is like, if you're a modernist, if you're not traditional, if you're, well, we need to update Catholicism. There's so much new stuff in the world. Let's update and modernize Catholicism. That's right. Vatican II. And then it was mixed with, with Roncalli, <laughs> John the 23rd's naive optimism that somehow the world's with all of these new things happening the world's yep. going to get somewhat better yep. and remember what he said about the Actually, prophets of doom yeah he exactly. condemned the prophets of doom and while it's in other words those who don't want to get on the progressive train the progressive agenda yeah yep. like kind of like what our lady said at fatima yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm pretty sure the three Fatima children would qualify as prophets of doom. Most certainly they do. Definition. And in my book, Infiltration, I make that insinuation that the, who are the prophets of doom that John the 23rd are talking about? Well, that network would include the three child seers of Fatima because they're talking about souls falling into hell, people not doing penance the errors of Russia spreading to the world, the persecution of the Holy Father, and then the third secret, which was supposed to be released in 1960, but was not. Because why? 
Ron Colley, John the 23rd, said, this is not for our time. Even though Our Lady said it was for our time. Yep. And and regarding the, all of this development and progress, here's actually what he said during his opening speech at the council. Quote, in the present order of things, divine providence is leading us to a new order of human relations. That's disturbingly similar to new world order. Uh, yeah. A, a new order of human relations by which or which by men's own efforts and even beyond their very expectations are directed toward the fulfillment of God's superior and inscrutable designs. And everything, John the 23rd claimed, even human differences lead to the greater good of the church. That's an that's an astounding thing for him to say. It is. A new order of human relations based on men's own efforts. Like I said, it sounds very disturbingly similar to the Freemasonic goal of a new world order. And notice what's missing from all of that, the need for grace. Men, by their own efforts, cannot fulfill God's superior and inscrutable designs. That's nonsense. Not in our fallen state. Yeah, we are it's the not Pelagian errors, the Pelagian heresy. Pelagianism, I don't need grace to be saved. Right. No way. Now, people say, hey, well, why would Our Lady of Fatima, and by the way, there's no one who's a bigger Fatima fan than the guy on the screen with me right now, Matt Gaspers. Right, Matt? We've talked about it a lot. We've done a lot of videos on Fatima. That's right. Search yep. on YouTube when you're done with this video. Don't leave us now. Uh, Matt Gaspers, Taylor Marshall, Fatima, you're going to find many, many videos where we're talking about it. People say, well, why would Our Lady ask for the third secret to be hidden and then revealed in 1960? Didn't she know as the mother of God by infused knowledge from Christ, didn't she know that the Pope at the time, John the 23rd, was not going to open it? You see the, the problem here, Matt? Yeah. Why would she ask for it to be opened in 1960 if the, she knew the Pope was not going to open it in 1960? The answer to this riddle is Our Lady wanted us to know that the Popes since 1960 are not obeying her directions. And that's a big fat red pill, isn't it, Matt? Certainly is. That's a big fat Certainly red pill. Is. I mean, you got to take that one down with some vodka. Because that hurts to hear. <laughs> she yep. asked for something, the consecration of Russia. And I don't think Francis did it. There, I said it. And the re the, re the revealing of the third secret in 1960, and he didn't do it. And that is like driving a car and the oil light is on. That means something, your car needs attention. You need to yep. attend to your vehicle or pretty soon it's no longer going to drive. Now, the gates of hell can never prevail. But in the analogy, the fact that they hid and covered up the third secret beginning in 1960 and didn't do the consecration of Russia is a signal light in our vehicle saying, when you look to Rome, realize there's something off. And again, mm -hmm. I don't have the full answer of what that is and how we get back on track. I'm not the mechanic of the Toyota that we're driving. But I do look there and I say, hmm, there's a signal light on. Yep. That's right. And we know from many sources, one of which uh, Cardinal Mario Luigi Chiappi, the Dominican theologian, said in 1996, in the third secret, it is foretold, among other things, that the great apostasy in the church will begin at the top. End quote. And what happened? Exactly that. Yep. Exactly that. Yep. So I think yeah. there's, a, there's a good take-home lesson that you've taught us today, Matt. And that is scripture doesn't change, tradition does not change, the magisterium does not change, cannot. The church can right. never defect. The church is always no. one, 
can never be two. It's always holy. It can never be unholy. It yes. is always Catholic. It's always universal. It can never just be like restricted to England or, you know, pick a nation. And it's apostolic. That means it teaches the apostolic yes. faith and it has apostolic succession from the 12 apostles to this day. Those four marks of the church always have to exist. It can never yes. end perpetual successors. It must go on. Can there be major confusions along the way? Well, yes. Look at the Avignon Papacy and then the Great Western Schism. At one point, yep. you have three men claiming to be Pope and you have entire nations submitted to various different Popes. You have entire episcopates, regions. Right. You know, Spain, the entire nation of Spain was under the wrong Pope for a long time. So was St. Vincent Ferrer. So there is this confusion. And I think in those confusing moments, and we are in one right now, what do we yes. do? We stick. We don't say, well, let's interpret all of 2,000 years of Catholicism in light of the latest mo modern lens. That's dumb. What do we do? Right. We take 2,000 years of clarity and we interpret the modern moment with that 2,000 years of clarity. If we do mm -hmm. that, well, I think we'll be safe. As long as we have faith, hope, and charity, yes. we have the one true faith, the Catholic faith, and we stay true to that, and we die in that faith with faith, hope, and charity, we will be saved. Yes. If we don't, we will not be saved. And some, you know, Cardinal Burke is actually in our country right now, and he gave some, uh, some words of encouragement this past Sunday August 7th at a uh, Institute of Christ the King parish up in Wisconsin. And he was preaching, you know, the gospel this past Sunday was about our Lord weeping over Jerusalem, not them not recognizing the time of their visitation and prophesying the destruction in 70 AD. And he's talking about, you know, the poison of worldly thinking infects the life, also infects the life of the church, drawing hearts away from Christ. Um, in such times, sincere hearts struggle to understand the permissive will of God. Sometimes it is a struggle. How, you know, I often think of that verse from the Psalms, how long, O Lord? I forget the chapter oh, and verse. I, I but pray that all the time, Matt. I, I, I'm not, not exaggerating. How long, Lord? That's why I'm, I'm hoping, you know, 70 years was sort of the Avignon papacy and all that, and then the seven-year Babylonian exile. I'm hoping we get to 70 years and we get this thing resolved. And that's coming up on us. We've been, uh, yes. uh, since the death of Pius XII, we're at 64 years. Yeah. Can y'all hang on for six more years? <laughs> yeah, we can do it. With God's grace, we yes. can do it. We can do yes. it. All right, Matt, can tradition change? No. H to the no. Never. Any priest or bishop who tells you so, walk away and and conversely we have to support the you know the the small number of bishops and priests relatively speaking small number who are upholding this truth about tradition that it doesn't change and we have to stand firm and hold fast to tradition as saint paul says second thessalonians chapter 2 verse 14 interestingly i'll just finish with this if you read the whole context of that chapter He's talking about the coming of the Antichrist and the great delusion that will be sent upon people who do not love the truth. And he ends by saying, therefore, brethren, hold fast, stand firm and hold fast to the traditions you have received. That's a very timely and very serious warning for all of us. If you're not clinging to tradition, you are opening yourself to the delusion. Which and is with all the due respect, sort of antichrist, right? And with all due respect to Cardinal Jean Claude Hollerich, to Pope Francis, they are delusional if they think that sodomy can somehow become morally acceptable. That is a delusion. Yeah. Good show, Matt Gaspers.
you know, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't mentioned it yet. I don't even know if I've told you, but I got a new book coming out and it's on. It's, I have seen your mentions of it on it's Twitter called and... antichrist and apocalypse. And oh today my. by 5 PM, I'm supposed to receive the first copy of it. So I will, wow. be, I will be talking about it, but yeah, I go, th I go through all this and it's not guys. It's not about end times and prophecies and microchips it's all about the church fathers the popes the magisterium and how they have interpreted all the features of the apocalypse the book of revelation the mm -hmm. seven plagues the seven signs the seven churches the seven seals all these things and That's we're going awesome. to do it systematically and i think it's going to be a book of hope not fear a book of hope because that's what the apocalypse is. And we must that have is, hope, faith, hope, and charity. And I'm telling you, you got to have the true faith. You got to have charity, love for God, for love of man. But you have to have the hope. Barack Obama did a whole fake hope. We're going to have the <laughs> yeah. real hope. And that's based yep. on the perseverance of the saints. So, Exactly. That's, that's exactly place. what Cardinal Burke said in Wisconsin. He said, uh, when we're tempted to discouragement, quote, the theological virtue of hope teaches us to rely solely upon the almighty power of God, his infinite mercy, and his promise of eternal salvation. So thank you, Your Eminence, for I those words. I love it, Your Eminence. Thank you, Cardinal Burke. And that's why Matt Gaspers and I are smiling today. Despite right. Francis saying that we have a dead faith. Here's this other quote. I didn't even say it yet. I'm going to read it. It's on the screen. Uh, it says... Uh, Francis, beware of rigidity. It is a perversion. Behind the rigidity, there is no Holy Spirit. Whoa. <laughs> and then here's Pius Twelfth, Matt. Quote, behind those who accuse the Church of Christ of being rigid, there is only the perversion of the false prophets who attempt against the truth of Christ himself. Who, who are you going to go with, Matt? You want to go with Francis? You want to go Pius Twelfth? I'm definitely sticking with Pius the Twelfth. Me too. That. Me too. <laughs> Everything you said is my favorite. Okay. That's a show. How can people follow you? Get to know you, Matt Gasper. Are you on Twitter? I am, yes. Just at Matt Gaspers on Twitter. Uh, I, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, I work for Catholic Family News. Our website is Catholic Family News, all one word, dot com. And we reproduce a, a monthly print publication. It's also available in e edition format. The full monthly newspaper is usually about 28 pages. We cover current events in the church, but also, you know, when we're discussing all of this stuff that can be discouraging, it's also important to build ourselves up in our most holy faith, as St. Jude says in his epistle. We have lots of spiritually enriching content, catechesis lives of the saints, uh, all that kind of good stuff as well. Good stuff for spiritual reading, meditation, so that we uh, don't just know what's what's wrong in the church now, but we know what's right with the church always. It's very important so, so that we don't fall into discouragement or into bitter zeal. It's a very real danger for the kind of work that we do. Absolutely. So visit uh, catholicfamilynews.com and click on the new subscription button to find out how you can subscribe. We also do a weekly podcast, uh, weekly news roundup, kind of covering some of these news events and doing some catechesis as well. Yeah, And Catholic Family News is one of the sites I go to almost daily to find out, you know, doing my own research. So Catholic Family News has a lot of great stories. They break a lot of good stuff. So you definitely want Catholic Family News as one of your tabs, you know, when you're, when you're going through Catholic news and updates. So definitely. I'm also excited to announce that I'm going to be one of the speakers at an event next month called the March for Catholics in Peoria, Illinois. All right. Uh, to learn, to learn more about that, you can visit the website, our warpath. So O U R warpath.com. And you click on the tab for the information. It's right there on the homepage. Uh, it's a big, it's basically, it's meant to be like a, you know, you talk about the need to take up space. One of the, the bullet points for our plan as Catholics in the, in this, this age is to take up space. That's the, I think that's the purpose of it is to profess our faith publicly, to show that we have a presence in our country and to just be, you know, basically 
hail the hail Christ the King and say we want him back. We want him living and reigning over this country, over our families, over our society. So I'll be looking forward to speaking on September 29th in Peoria, the Feast of St. Michael the Archangel. Perfect. Beautiful. Beautiful. Very good. All right, everybody. Make sure you're praying that rosary every single day. If you're not praying the rosary, you're not on the team. Take up space. Pray the rosary in public. Pray the rosary before Mass. You can pray the Mass during Mass. I like to pray the Mass at the offertory. Uh, I mean, pray the pray the uh, rosary at the offertory. You can pray the rosary after Mass. Pray the rosary as a family every evening. That's Catholic tradition, man. you got to be praying together as a family. The Father, if you have a father in the home, leading the family as a patriarch. The flow of grace from, yes. from the father and into the marriage with the wife and to the children. I mean, we got to build a Catholic culture, people. And it begins with that right. daily rosary. So you pray that rosary every day or you're not on the team, end of story, uh, read the Bible every day, Dewey Rames, find a traditional Latin mass, make sure you've liked this video, thumbs up, share, subscribe. Yes. Uh, what do we miss, Matt? Read the catechism, read the Roman catechism, Baltimore catechism, learn the faith from read trusted the sources. Father Dave Nix just started the Roman catechism podcast. That's a great opportunity. Go check that out. Um, and yeah, just, just get yourself a copy of the Roman Catechism. Got to take off this. I got here, but I got a cigar box on it. Mombacho cigars. There you it. go. You ever had nice. a Mombacho cigar? I have not. Traditional Catholic not. dude on this. Use rosary as a code. I wouldn't plan on this. Use rosary code. You'll get like 10 or 20% off. But this is the Catechism of the Council of Trent, the Roman Catechism. I like this version. It's really nice. You got this version, Matt? It is. I have a paperback, but I want okay. to get a heart oh, hardback version. I know what you're getting for yeah. your birthday. I can hook <laughs> you up with this. Yeah, this is a beautiful copy right here. Um, yes. And I, I, people, I, I always say get this one. In fact, if you do my name, Taylor Marshall Happy Meal. I know it sounds dumb, but you'll remember it. <laughs> happy Meal is like the the happy meal of all the books I would recommend for you to get and read. It's the happy there meal. There you go. It's like the combo meal. It's the happy meal. This is on the happy yep. meal, this book. And people have contacted me and said, you know, I was kind of afraid. Catechism of the Council of Trent, 1500s. I was kind of afraid this would be way over my head. And they're like, it is so easy to read, so clear. Yep. And I understand Catholicism so much better just yep. by having this book and occasionally reading it and going through it. You got to get it. Yeah, it was, it was commissioned and it's designed for priests to preach just the basic truths of the faith to the average lady so it is very readable it's not something you need to be scared of you get into yeah. it and you'll be fine yeah and and people are asking what about the 1994 catechism taylor what about that i did a show a while back uh roman catechism the 1994 catechism and why i go why i always talk about this one not the 94 so if y'all yeah. are curious uh search for that on youtube or spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you, Matt Gaspers. I appreciate all your research. I appreciate it. I learned a lot today because of your research on the St. Vincent Loren quote and giving us that full context. That right there is super valuable. So thank you so much for all the work you did and for coming on today. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody. Thanks for watching. Remember our Lord Jesus Christ is you're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. God bless. Godspeed. And thank you, Matt Gaspers. Thank you.